Hey, this is Tony Amaya. I am the pastor of Cross Parallel. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We pray it encourages you, builds up your faith, and draws you closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. Because God created these things, we know in Scripture He says, uh, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. So He wants us to experience all of these things to the, to the max, to the greatest potential. God is not against love and romance. He is for that. God is not against sex. He is for that and to the fullest. So um, because God is for our good, then we must know that the enemy is, is for our bad, right? The, the devil, it says, is, is the murderer, um, a murderer from the beginning that he has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. So to steal, kill, and destroy our view of love, to destroy marriages, to steal love, to kill romance, to distort our view of sex so that we cannot enjoy these things, so that it's, it's, it's a spark and it's fun for a while and then it diminishes. And, and that's what sin is. It says sin is fun for a season, but then, but in in the end, um, but in the end leads to destruction. So all the enemy has to do is distort our view a little bit. A little bit of distortion makes a big difference. So we looked at uh, an old Chinese proverb that says a millimeter discrepancy leads to a thousand mile loss. If, if our foundation is wrong, then, then at the end of the, if our foundation is wrong, we looked at the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Because the foundation is wrong, the taller the tower gets, the further and further away from the goal it should be. The further and further away from straight it, it gets. And so Christopher Yuan says, if the point of departure is a bit off from the start, the deviation in the end can be overwhelmingly large. So we must build our foundation on Scripture, on the Word of God. Uh, and this is how we can have a successful, good marriage and love life. So the challenge last week, in, in wrapping up last week, I challenge you to look intently into your beliefs. Look intently into what you believe about marriage. What do you believe about love? What do you believe about sex? What do you believe about romance? And what do you believe about singleness? A lot of people think that being single is a curse when that is not a curse. And we can look through scripture and find that it is not a curse. It's a good thing. And so I challenge you to look back at your beliefs and intentionally try to tear down lies. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is, is uh, defining lies or, or um, putting, shedding light on the lie and destroying the lie and then building our foundation on the Word of God. So I want to take just a quick minute to uh, do a little promotion for this app called Through the Word. Um, if you have your phone, take it out now and download this app. It's called Through the Word, and their, their um, scripture, or the reason they're called Through the Word is because... Romans chapter 12, uh, we are transformed and uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, something, something through the word. <laughs> I can't remember now. Uh, my mind's a little bit off. Um, so take out your phone and download this app. This app is awesome. It will read the Bible to you, which is good for those of us who can't really focus on reading. But then it has like a little um, five to ten minute teaching on each chapter in the Bible, every single chapter. So it's easy to listen to as you drive to work. I like to just turn this on when I drive to work. So I'll read a proverb while I eat my cereal or read something while I eat my cereal. And then, and then I listen to these pastors talk about um, the chapter. So I would encourage you guys to do that. Amen.
Amen. There we go. Glad to see all the phones taken out, people. Um, okay. So tonight we're going to start our video series. And the first, the first section of this is on love. Our view of love will impact how we date. Our view of love will impact how we marry. It will impact our sexuality and our singleness. So we have to have a, a good definition of love. So I just want to speak for a couple of minutes and we're, going to, we're just going to go through three stories in the Bible um, that, that deal with this ahava. And then we're going to uh, break up into some groups and just have a little bit of discussion. Um, so I, I, I love that he points out the three different definitions of love in the Bible the different uses in Hebrew, like I love green chili and I love my wife. And in English, we have the same word, love. Um, Rudy, I, I literally wrote you in my, my notes. Rudy is my friend and I raya him. I love that guy. I like to hang out with him. Now he just gave me a word. Look, never mind. Isaiah, there we go. <laughs> raya, hanging out with somebody. somebody. Um, but definitely not dode, right? Dode. Is just this girl right here, my wife. Um, I love my wife as Dode, um, but we're commanded to have ahava love for for everybody around us, for our family, our wives, and husbands, our friends, um, and even those that we're just around. God has commanded us to love people, and so it's very important that we distinguish this love and that we have a deep understanding of what true love is, of ahava love. Because if we don't, then we're bound to get disappointed. We're, we're, we're bound to get hurt and extremely brokenhearted when love doesn't work out for us. Now, now, just even that saying that love didn't work for me. A lot of people say that, and, and but that, that doesn't make sense, right? Love doesn't work for you. You work for love. You love. And so a misunderstanding of love, lumping all of these three together, the friendship love and, and a sexual attraction love, and then also um, the, the steadfast love, if we lump all of those together, then we are set on a path for destruction. I want to read just a quick quote from the book. He says, you can't build a marriage on deep feelings of affection alone because they're unreliable. Flaky would be an understatement. And you can't build a relationship just on raya. Friendship is vital, but you need an extra spark, something more. Dode isn't enough either. No matter how beautiful he or she is, over time, the body will start to wrinkle and age and decay. What happens then? When you still have decades of life ahead of you, you need something more. You need ahava. So if we want to learn Ahava, if we want to learn a love that lasts, then we must look to God. The Bible says that God is love, right? God is love. He's the author of love. His love never fails. And so if we want to have loving relationships, relationships that last, love that lasts, then let's look to God and let's mimic His ways. First, let's look to Him, then let's experience His love, and then we can mimic that love. Because if we've not seen His love, we can't experience it. If we can't experience it, we cannot mimic His love. It's impossible. So, 
I want to uh, just look at a few stories. The first one um, is just basically the whole Old Testament. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, it's a story of God and His relationship with mankind, but more specifically with His chosen people, the people of Israel. And so God makes a covenant of love with His people, and it's a relational love. It says that He spoke with Moses face to face, as He would with a friend. It's an emotional love, so there's, there's feelings involved. It says that um, as, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so um, God rejoices over His people. So there's an emotion there. Um, and, then, and then there's an intimate love. That God made himself known. God longs to be intimate with us. And so it says that he made himself known to the Israelites. He made his ways known to Moses. But then if you'll, if you'll read the story, you'll see over and over and over the, the Israelites breaking the covenant that they made with God. They broke the love. They chose not to love him. They for, forsake God. And this is where God exemplifies Ahava. If you'll read the the books of of prophecy, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you will see raw emotion from God of anger and frustration. There's a lot of anger there towards them. And, and, And when people read it, they can be in shock to see the emotions that God felt towards these people who broke the love covenant. So God has these these emotions of anger and frustration and he's brokenhearted, and rightly so. And, and he's not wanting to dance over them, right? He probably wants to dance on their heads. Like, you, you deserve this. You forsook me. You worshipped idols. There's, there's a scripture that says that he, he sings songs over them, singing and, and rejoicing over his people. But at this point, his emotions, he probably wants to like write a diss track for the Israelites, right? He wants to, um, to, to lay down the hammer. The emotional love doesn't seem to be present when you read through the, the prophetic books. The butterflies in the stomach are, are long gone. And so what does God do? He, he doesn't act like humans would act. He doesn't do what every one of us would probably do. If, if, if we're in a relationship and someone breaks the covenant of love, what most of us would do is say, you get what you deserve, right? But God does something different. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't leave them. But instead, he endures. Love endures. He continues to show them mercy. He continues to show patience and compassion. And this is one of the the greatest views that we get of who God is and of what love is. God is love, and this is what love looks like. If you, if you want to read the book of Hosea, Hosea is an example of a man who marries a prostitute. And that's basically what God did. He, he married a people who were unfaithful. And even we, as followers of Jesus, can be unfaithful to Him. And we need to really examine how He loves us, because He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us even when we deserve it. And this is true love. And I just want to pause real quick. This is a marriage kind of love. So don't feel like if you're in a bad relationship or you've been in a bad relationship that, well, if I love them, then I have to stick through with it, right? If it's abusive or harmful to you, that's not something you stay in. Um, so, so that's the first example is the example of Hosea in, in the Old Testament altogether. God stuck with his people. 
And then we can look into the, the New Testament. We, I, I want to read this story uh, in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. We see it often at weddings where the husband will get on his knees and he'll begin to wash his wife's feet and then they'll trade and they wash each other's feet. Um, and so it's taken from this story. It says in, in verse 1, it was just before Passover. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, another version says he now showed them the full extent of his love, the, the height of his love. It says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. And then the story goes on with Peter saying, Jesus, you cannot wash my feet. And Jesus tells him, I must. And then in verse 12, it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, your master, the, the greater one, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, do you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus sets this example for his disciples, and then he commands them to do likewise. If you are my followers, you will do the same. And so this doesn't mean, well, I have washed their feet. So now literally every Christian must go around washing people's feet. That's not what he's saying. Um, this was a very symbolic act. What Jesus was doing in this story was taking on the role of a servant. In, in that day, the, the washing of feet was left to the, the, the slave or the servant of the house, the lowest of the low. That was their responsibility to clean people's nasty feet. And Jesus, who was the greatest person in the room, chose to do the job of the least important person in the room. Jesus chooses to be the least important in the room, even though he is the most important in the room. And I think that this is something that we must, we must grasp. Choose to take on the role of the least important person in the room. Not in an insecure way. This is not insecurity. But he gets down on his knees and he deals with the dirt and the grime gently. When we, we, we will encounter people's dirt and their grime, their nasty attitudes and why do they act like that way. We, when, when you're in close relationship with someone, you see the worst of the worst. And, and washing their feet. It doesn't say Jesus like took like a, um, one of those sanders to their feet and like, you know, cleans it off. He washes their feet gently. And so when we are, are noticing people's weaknesses, we love them gently. We don't come harshly to that. He takes on a servant mentality that I am here for you. 
your needs above my own. I'm giving of myself to care for you and I will do it gently. This kind of love is a choice because it's well beyond feelings. It's well beyond emotions. Just like we saw with the the Old Testament story where God's wrath and his anger and his frustration was there, but instead he loved. The emotions, like, yeah, so the emotions of like, oh, this is just so exciting being right next to this person's feet that he probably stepped in horse poop in. And back then they wore sandals, right? So it was nasty stuff, but he chose to do it. It's a choice. So, um, and then and then we see in our last example, the last example I want to give in Scripture is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the place where Jesus goes to pray right before He is crucified, right before He's tortured, uh, humiliated, and murdered. And it says that He sits in the Garden and He's praying to His Father and, and that He was in deep, deep anguish, so much so that He was sweating. Uh, uh, his sweat was like drops of blood. And so in Matthew chapter 26, verses 37 through 39, it says, He began to be sorrowful and troubled, knowing what was ahead of him. And then he said to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is, this is a deep, like, uh, depressed state. I am overwhelmed with sorrow. That was Jesus' emotion. And then we look at his act. His act and his emotions don't line up there, Right? Says going a little farther, he fell on his face. We fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, "My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but yours." Be done. And so we see Jesus' raw emotion here. God, I don't want to do this. Father, please let this cup pass from me. But love says, not what I want, but what you want. God, I align myself with what you want. That is true love. And that's what, that is how we love God too. Because it's, it's not always what we want. We don't always want to go and, and, and do the right thing or stop doing the wrong thing. It doesn't always line up with our emotions. But because we love Him, we align our actions with that. And so we see Jesus' raw emotion saying, I don't want to do this, but not my will. Yours be done. This love is beyond a present feeling. We read in the book of Hebrews, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So there was emotion, but the emotion wasn't, the the, the emotion of joy was set before him. It was on the horizon. He wasn't like, oh yes, nail my hand to the cross. Oh, there's another one. Good. There wasn't the joy there. The joy was on the horizon. And the same is true in, in a marriage. In marriage, the joy is on the horizon, knowing Knowing what, uh, what true love is and, and, and wanting that. Because what, what we see often is people have these feelings of love, that the romantic butterfly feelings, and those can remain in your marriage. But too often, when it, it, it doesn't just stay. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not that way. There, there's, there's days where you have other emotions for each other. Emotions of frustration and anger and, and disagreement. But knowing that, well, this is what love is. And I know that if, if I continue in a servant mentality, if I do the right thing, there's joy on the horizon. And so that's how Jesus demonstrates for us how, how to act. 
Because the present emotion was grief, sorrow, trouble, and being overwhelmed. But he endures it because of his unwavering, steadfast, sacrificial love. True love is selfless. And Jesus demonstrates this perfectly on the cross. So we see these three examples of God's love. And the, the, the most important thing that we take from tonight is how much God loves us. God loves you with a steadfast, sacrificial love. And although he may be upset with you at times, because God does get upset sometimes. When we sin and we rebel, there, there's an upset feeling and frustration. There are emotions there. But he continues, he's steadfast, and he will not let us go. He holds on to us. We can refuse him, but he will never refuse us. He does not refuse us. We may turn our back on God, but he will not. So with this in mind, we are commanded to love. With, with his love in mind, understand that you are also commanded to love. Not commanded to have feelings. I like that he said that. You cannot command feelings. You cannot command someone to have feelings for another person. But you can command action. And so God commands us to love. He commands us to serve. He commands us to sacrifice. To be selfless. To consider others' needs above our own needs. This kind of love is an enduring love. It's a doing love. It's a love that lasts. So I want to read two, two final scriptures, and then we're going to break up and, and talk for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And I would challenge you to memorize this one this week. 1 John chapter 4, 10, 4 verse 10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Be grateful for His love. His love is so amazing and so constant. And if we can, if we can focus our attention on that, we will experience that. And when we experience it, we can mirror it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you want to stay up to date with everything we're doing, make sure you follow us on social media and check out our website at crossparallel.com.